Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Scott, our lead pastor. He is away, and so it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. Um, and I just want to start off by saying happy, 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 happy New Year to you. I could keep on going with happies, right? I mean, it has been a long 2020, and we have finally made it into 2021. And uh, although I did see a cartoon, I had this picture of this guy. He has a glass of champagne. He's super pumped. He's super excited. He's got a little calendar behind him. It says 1231-2020. He's ready to enter the new year. And in the next scene of the cartoon, it has him still with his glass full. But now he's like bummed and disappointed because behind him, the calendar says 131-2020. And he's like, no! But hopefully for you guys, uh, when you did wake up on New Year's morning, it did say 1-1-2021. And along with that, you probably got some new joy, new anticipation for what God has in store in this upcoming new year. And along with that, probably some New Year's resolutions. Does anybody else still do those? Do you write them down? Maybe not. Maybe you just put them kind of in your head. But even if you don't write them down, I think you're going to appreciate these New Year's resolutions that I came up with um, as I searched the globes of the internet. So without further ado, kids, you guys are here this morning. Welcome. Why don't you get me a little drum roll? I'm going to give you the top five New Year's resolutions for 2021. So here we go. All right. New Year's resolution number five is this. I resolve to never use Zoom technology again. Amen. Right? You. Although some of you, you might be like, I resolve to finally figure out that mute button. So when I'm talking, people actually hear me. All right, resolution number four, here we go. I resolve to cut my COVID hair. That's right. That's for you, Mr. Gabe, right there. And for me, on the other hand, I still have my, my locks of love here. My son, Josiah, and I, we've been growing out our hair since February. And I keep saying, buddy, is it time? And he's like, no, dad, it's not time. Father-son bonding will continue. We're going to look like Thor. Anyway, so, uh, so that's New Year's resolution number four. New Year's resolution number three, here we go, is this. I resolve to wear a mask when Halloween comes this year and to actually enjoy it. I know that's not possible at this point in time. You're like, there's no way. But the vaccine is coming. And pretty soon, we're not going to wear masks any longer. And then we're going to wear them. There we go. Woo. We're actually going to enjoy wearing a mask. I know it's hard to believe. All right, resolution number two, here we go. New Year's resolution is this. I resolved to get to the weight I was before COVID-19 hit. Some of you have gained that COVID-19 and you're like, oh man, I got to get some of those belt buckle loops back or whatever. Um, although I did see this other one I found even more funny. It said, I resolved to get to the weight that I was the first time I thought I was fat. I was like, maybe not five belt loops back, maybe like two. Two would be good enough for me. All right, last but not least, here we go. Resolution number one is this. I resolve in the new year to say hindsight is 2020. But don't there we go. Okay, thank you very much. So New Year's resolutions, there they are. And along with New Year's, not only comes resolutions, but probably just like anticipation for all sorts of new beginnings. And if I could choose one word to describe 2021 that we long for more than anything is, it would be that word restore. You guys resonate with that word? Restore means to return to a former condition, to repair or renovate in order to bring something back to its original state. Can you relate to that? I mean, we've, we, we've experienced a lot of loss 
in 2020, and really just in life in general, we experience loss, don't we? And so we long to be restored, to have restored health, restored jobs, restored relationships, restored school, restored going back to the grocery store without a mask, right? But more than anything else, I think God would want for us in this upcoming year that we would have a restored soul. And so along with that theme of restoration, Pastor Rob last week took us through Psalm 95, which I highly commend to you. And today we're going to look at probably of all of 150 Psalms, this is the one most memorized, most recited, most written about, most quoted, most, most put in Hallmark cards, and it is Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. And so you can go ahead and turn with me. Psalm 23, um, it is simple enough that a child can grasp it. For you kids who are out there, I started learning Psalm 23 from my Sunday school teacher, Miss Irma Nielsen. She would quiz me on it. And uh, I loved it because I grew up in a rural town, a rural farm town in Louisiana. And so we, we had a lot of farming out there. We didn't have sheep, but we had a lot of other cattle and things like that. And so I could resonate with this theme of a shepherd and his sheep. And so it's simple enough that a child can grasp it, but it's also deep enough that a theologian can drown in it. And I love what Charles Spurgeon has to say about this psalm. In fact, I'm going to quote him several times. Uh, but this is what he says about it. He says, Psalm 23 is the nightingale of the Psalms, singing shyly out of obscurity, but filling the air of the whole world with melodious joy, greater than the heart can conceive. And if you have known Psalm 23 in this way, I am just super thankful for that. But if you're like me, if I'm honest, um, Psalm 23 was sort of an afterthought for me for a lot of my spiritual life and so, until I was reintroduced to it by my friend and and a pastor and mentor named Robert Chong. And so about two years ago, he, he kind of reintroduced me to this psalm. And I think I knew the words of the psalm before, but I hadn't experienced it the way that David intended and really our good shepherd, God himself, intended for me to. But um, over the last you know, couple of years, I've gone to this psalm again and again and again. Even this morning, I was, I was just praying through it. And, and the good shepherd, he's, he's led me. He's cared for me. He's, he's guided me. He has this verse 3 says, restored my soul. And so more than anything else this morning, I would pray that that, that would be your experience as we walk through this psalm together, that you would experience, not just understand the psalm, but experience the psalm as if the good shepherd is speaking to you. And so why don't we go now on a journey with the shepherd together by reading Psalm 23 together. If you guys will stand with me. And instead of me reading the psalm to you, I want us to read this psalm together and ask that God would speak to our hearts as we, as we read it. So Psalm 23, let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. 
Oh God, I pray this morning that you as our shepherd would minister to us through your word, that you would speak to us, that you would comfort us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would provide for us, that you would feed us, that you would strengthen us, that you would meet us here, right here, right now, for the good of our souls. May you restore us, we pray. Would you please take the the, the truths of this psalm off of mere sympathy cards, and would you instead inscribe them onto our hearts? We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can take your seats, and as you do, today's sermon is entitled, A Journey with the Shepherd. And we're invited to go on this journey to three places with our shepherd. Uh, First, we're going to go to the pasture, and then we'll go to the valley, and then we'll go to the house. And in each one of these locations, the shepherd has a particular intent for us. And so without further ado, let's look at setting number one. The shepherd restores me in the pasture. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. This is sort of a declaration for David that provides the context for the rest of the psalm. And if you'll notice that word for Lord right off the bat, it's in all caps. It's actually at the end of verse 6 as well. That word for Lord is Yahweh. It's the Hebrew word that means that God has a relationship with his people. It's, it's a covenant relationship with the sheep of his flock. In other words, it's, it's different than just God being the Lord over all creation. In this sense, it's the Lord of his people. It, it connotes this, um, an idea of closeness, of intimacy. It's constant. It's, it's present. It's relational. And so right off the bat, David wants us to see that God desires to have a relationship with us. He wants us to commune with him, to abide with him, to enjoy him, to to spend time in his presence. And as a shepherd, David would have known exactly what this was like to have a relationship with his sheep. Because of, of all of the animals, the sheep are the ones that need the most attention, the most care, the most direction. They are so quick to wander off. And so the shepherd has to keep constant attention to watch his sheep, to care for his sheep. And the shepherd calls out to his sheep. And as long as they respond to the sheep and stay near to the shepherd, respond to the shepherd and stay near to him, they'll be able to say, like David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, for David, this was a sort of a banner over his life. It was a statement of truth for him, but but it's also an invitation for us. Do we truly see that God is our shepherd and that in his presence there will be no want? Or maybe you could resonate with a story like I heard in eastern Turkey. It was a group of, uh, a herd of 1,500 sheep. And these shepherds that were watching over the sheep, they decided they were hungry. They had been, they had been watching sheep all night. And they're like, man, we got to go get some breakfast. And so they went off for breakfast. And when they returned from breakfast, all of the sheep had fallen off a cliff. One sheep followed the cliff over and went to its death. Another sheep followed, another sheep after that, another sheep after that. 400 sheep fell to their death, and another 1,100 fell on top of those sheep. And even though they didn't die, they were wounded. They were traumatized. They felt so alone, like their shepherd 
had gone off to breakfast. And some of you might feel that way this morning. You might be coming in here this morning saying, I, I don't experience the shepherd in the way that David is talking about. And if you are in that spot, may I encourage you? God wants to speak to you this morning. And not only that, but see where the shepherd leads his sheep first. Look where he leads them. He leads them to green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is a pasture that's filled with green grass. It's filled with, with still waters, with paths of righteousness. It's a, it's a place where the sheep can eat and drink and enjoy one another's company and where they can just rest in the shepherd's care. And the Hebrew, verse 2, literally leads, in pastures of grass, he makes me to lie down upon waters of rest. He guides me. How does that sound for you guys? Rest restoration, refreshment. If you're like me, though, my shepherd can get, excuse me, my soul can get so easily distracted. It can get weary. It can get disoriented by all of the cares of this life. But the shepherd says, I want to lead you to green pastures. I want to lead you to still waters. That word for lead, by the way, is lahal. It's the Hebrew word that means to lead with care, to guide with love. It sometimes can even be translated to carry close. And so God wants to guide us to rest in him, to to enjoy him, not scurrying around like Martha, but instead sitting at the feet of our shepherd like Mary. Charles Spurgeon, he describes the invitation of the shepherd in this way. He says, sweet and full are the doctrines of the gospel, fit food for souls, as tender grass is natural nourishment for sheep. When by faith we are enabled to find rest in the promises of God, we are like the sheep that lie down in the midst of a pasture. We find at the same time, or excuse me, the same moment, both provision and peace, rest and refreshment, serenity and satisfaction. How does that sound to you? Provision and rest, satisfaction, serenity, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you experienced the nourishment, the refreshment of God in that way? When was the last time that you just sat down and enjoyed his presence? You know, if it's been a while, may I encourage you? David, the psalmist, he sort of anticipates your response if you're that way. You're like, man, it's been a long time. Because uh, listen to the way sheep are. Sheep are fretful. They are fearful. They can't lie down unless they are completely removed from all fear, and it's almost impossible for them. They're constantly fearful of where they'll get their next food. They're fearful of predators. They're fearful of pests. They're fearful of even one another sometimes. And that's why the shepherd has to make his sheep lie down. And so if you are in that place right now, if you're finding yourself overwhelmed, this might be God's very means of forcing you to lie down. If you remember back when COVID first hit, man, we were like all disheveled. We're like, oh my goodness, I got to stay home 24-7. This is crazy. I have things to do. I have have places to be. But then over time, it became a grace to us, right? We slowed down. We stilled before our shepherd. We spent time with him in a way that we hadn't had in a long time. And I think God would invite us once again in this new year to say, I'm going to sit 
down. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to slow down more than anything else and just enjoy my shepherd. You know, one other thing about the pasture, though, it's not only a place of drinking and eating and, and just rest. It's also a place of cleaning and mending of wounds. And so on this long, tumultuous journey of life, when the shepherd brings his sheep to, val- excuse me, to pastures, his purpose is to restore them. And so if you've got cuts and bruises, the shepherd wants to come alongside of you and minister to you. But one other thing to note about this word restore, I was reading about this um, from Philip Keller. He's a shepherd by trade, but since then he became a pastor. And he talks about this phenomenon that, we, that he calls being a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. And he said um, that in his flock that he would tend to, sometimes his sheep would wander off and they would find, and the sheep would, would find this sort of a, almost like a divot or like a small hole. And it would think that that was the place. That was the place of most comfort. It was the place of most ease. It was typically in the shade. But before the sheep knew it, it was by itself. And the sheep, because of its weight, would, con- would, would a lot of times turn over on its back. Or sometimes even the wool was so filled with mud that it would turn on its back. And as a result, when it was stuck in this hole, the sheep's legs would stick up and it would lose its circulation. And before the sheep knew it, the sheep was paralyzed. It couldn't move. And then these gastric juices would start to form in the sheep's belly. And those gastric juices could prove fatal if the shepherd doesn't find it within a few hours. Well, David says, The purpose of the shepherd is to restore that sheep. And so Philip, he said um, when he would would count the sheep, by the way, he would count them all the time. Count them all the time. Sounds familiar, right? He counts 100 sheep and then he goes after the one when it's missing. That's exactly what the shepherd does all the time. The shepherd counts the sheep. He, He counts them one by one by one by one by one, constantly counting the sheep to make sure that they are all accounted for. And if one of them is missing, he leaves the flock and goes after that one that is cast down. And Philip would show up. He said he loved it. He was so full of joy and anticipation when he would find that sheep. But he was also a little bit anxious because he didn't know if it was going to be too late. But when he would arrive and that sheep was laid down in that burrow, he would comfort the sheep. He would restore the sheep by petting the sheep and say, there, there, it's okay, it's okay. And he would kind of turn the sheep onto its side and he'd begin to rub the belly and begin to massage the feet bring circulation back to the feet. And eventually he would bring the sheep up to standing once again, and he would hover over the sheep and just massage and and take care of that sheep and restore that sheep until that sheep was once again able to go off back into the flock. Sometimes, though, the sheep was so tired, so disoriented, that he would actually pick up the sheep and carry the sheep back to the flock. And so if you are in that place right now, if you have, if you have wandered off, if you've lost your footing and you've, you've been sort of just thrown upside down by life, You may feel stuck and you may feel weighed down by the cares of life. Or maybe you've even sought just green pastures in another place. Or maybe you've even sought to be your own shepherd, to take care of yourself. And you found yourself isolated from everyone else, including the shepherd himself. I want to encourage you. The shepherd is coming. He wants to bind up your wounds. He wants to to heal your sickness. He wants to give strength to your weary soul. He wants to bring you sweet relief and rest. And all he asks 
is that you wait for him and that you receive his tender, loving care. Charles Spurgeon, he says this about our shepherd. He says, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. You know, I love that picture of the shepherd restoring his sheep. And I love the fact that Philip Keller, again, he taught, by the way, this, this book on, uh, it's called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's outstanding, if you, highly commended if you haven't seen it. But anyway, he said, one of his greatest joys is to see all of his sheep together at rest. You know, a lot of times we think about God being this sort of disapproving father, that we've got to do all this stuff in order to gain favor with him, in order to gain merit enough to be in his presence. And and the shepherd says, no, I just want you to rest in me. I want you to just enjoy me. I want you to be in my presence. God delights for you to find rest for your weary soul. That's the gospel. We can't get ourselves to God. God goes to us. And when we are restored, God shows himself to be a good shepherd. And then it not only brings goodness to our soul, it also brings glory to his name. See, it says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so it's not just about us receiving. It's about us proclaiming that our shepherd is good. In fact, Philip Keller, once again, he said one of the greatest delights was was when all of his sheep would, would sort of look at him. And they, and they would know that he was a good shepherd. And, and it was almost like his banner when his sheep were doing well. It was his banner to say, that's my sheep. And the, shepherd, or the, the sheep would almost respond, hey, that's my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm, I'm safe and secure in his presence. But as you know, this is, both, <laughs> this is both the easiest and the hardest thing to do, to give ourselves, to give up control to a shepherd. But when we do, he does restore our souls. And if you are in that place right now, if you're, if you're finding yourself weary, burdened, uh, cast down, let me just pause right now. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. God, I bring my, my friends who are weary and broken. God, I pray that you would bind up their, your, their wounds, that you would, that you would heal their diseases, that you would give them a sweet and fresh experience of your tender, loving care right now. Please feed their hunger. Please quench their thirst. Please turn their mourning into dancing. Please restore their souls. May may you not, what you do for one, may you do for all of us so that we as a a flock here at Four Oaks would, would, would experience your goodness and we would declare that you are indeed a good shepherd that we would not want so long as we are in your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, David moves on to a second location in our journey. Um, It's a much more precarious one than the first. It's the valley. And so setting number two is this. The shepherd is with me through the valley. That word, by the way, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I will will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That word for valley, it's, it's really more like a narrow gorge between two mountains. And in Palestine, these deep, dark ravines were were a place filled with danger. They were, they were danger from the cliffs themselves. Um, they were dangerous from predators. 
Uh, like animals that were seeking to, to destroy the flock. They were even a, a danger from robbers who would seek to steal the sheep. <laughs> and so, I mean, it really was a valley of the shadow of death. And you can probably be like me, like, well, why would a good shepherd lead his sheep into a valley like that? Well, David, he knew. You see, a flock um, that's, that's left in one pasture too long, it can actually destroy the pasture, it can absorb all of the nutrients in such a way that it then becomes just a barren wasteland. And the shepherd, if he's a good shepherd, he would lead them to a new pasture that's filled with fresh green grass. Or sometimes that pasture was, that was once safe, it's now dangerous, and he's got to lead the, the sheep into a new place. But in order to get to a new place in Palestine, you had to go through these deep, dark ravines. But even so, the sheep would follow their shepherd because they trusted their shepherd was leading them through the valley, not just to the valley, but through the valley to another place. And even as hard as it was for these cliffs to just be casting a shadow of death over them, they trusted the shepherd was with them. And some of you guys know what that experience is like. I mean, God has, has led you into this valley through this difficult terrain. And perhaps it's just because of your own destruction of your own pasture. Or maybe it's just t- time for God to lead you to a new place. But regardless of whatever the case may be, that time will come when you and I have to go through the journey. And maybe you find yourself in that journey right now, and it is incredibly dark. I remember just a few months ago, if you guys didn't hear about this, I was in a car accident and I had a, had a really bad concussion. Um, it, was, it was just, it caused my head to bang a ton. I had constant ears ringing and my sight, um, I couldn't see light hardly at all. And so I actually bunkered in my bedroom. Um, Julia, she took uh, trash bags and put them over our windows. And so it was really like pitch black in our bedroom. And that was the only place that I could be where I could at least somewhat experience relief. But it was hard. It was lonely. It was depressing. And the one comfort that I had was verse 4 that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I love the passage here because it says, I'm not going to fear evil because I'm strong. No, it says, I'm not going to fear evil because you're with me. I have a strong shepherd who's with me every step of the way. And the only way to endure hard times is to have a shepherd who's with you. I love, too, the change in pronouns with David. If you notice, he, he moves from a third person to a second person. Instead of he, 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 it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. Are with me. And you guys know this to be the case. If you've gone through a deep, dark valley, there is a, there is a sense in which there's this exchange where the shepherd was far off. Now he's come near. And you know him deeper and fuller than you ever have before. And what a sweet comfort that is. And what's really interesting, um, sheep, they have very poor eyesight. And so if you can imagine going into a dark valley like that, I mean, they're, 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 they have no sense of, of what's going on. I mean, there's just shadows everywhere. They, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And so shepherd will, will take, its, take his crook from his staff, that little curved part of the staff, and pull that shepherd close to him when he begins to wander off and lose his way. 
And what's interesting is when you experience the nearness of God, you know what that's like. It's, it's like refreshment, even in the midst of the valley. Another cool part of this story is, I don't know if you know this, but in Palestine, um, the shepherd led them through the valleys, not only to get to their other side, but in that valley, there, were tip, there was typically a stream that would flow. And so the sheep would be in darkness. They, they can't see, they can't find their way. And then all of a sudden, the shepherd leads them right to the stream of refreshment in the midst of the valley. Have you been in that place where you just experienced the nearness of God? Where you know that he's with you, that he's for you, that, that somehow, some way, you're going to get to the other side? That's what David intends for us to see here, that he has a staff to pull us close. But not only that, he has a rod to protect us. A rod was, would hang from the belt. And the shepherd, as soon as he sensed danger, he would pull that rod out to fight off against the enemies. You see, it was not just the rod or just the, the staff that would comfort the sheep, but it was really the holder of the rod. And the holder of the staff that would comfort the sheep. And we know that to be the case. Held in our own hands, we, we can't fight off against the enemies. But held in God's hand, the one who's powerful, the one who is full of might. He does the impossible. In fact, I love, um, I was listening to uh, Francis Chan speak on this particular verse. And he said, you know, I used to hate the valleys. But he said, you know, I, now I love it. Because it is the place where I, I'm, I'm now eager with hope that God will do the impossible. That in the deepest, darkest valleys is when God shows his might more than any other place. So whatever valley you're in or whatever valley you, you might know in the future that's coming, the Lord is never absent. He is with you. His presence is ever before you. Even if the shadows have kind of darkened your view God says, I'm with you. You've just got to hold on to me. Just keep following. Just keep, just keep trusting. He hasn't forgotten you. He, he's caring for you. He's, he's, he's loving you. He's holding on to you. And one day you will step into sunlight on the other side. David McLemore, he says this. He says, the shadow falling overhead doesn't foretell condemnation. It forecasts satisfaction. You might feel condemned, like you're in the darkness, that God has condemned you. That is, that is, there's nothing further from the truth. That is the very means to draw close to him because he cares for you. He loves you. And he's leading you to a place of flourishing on the other side of the valley. And while many of us, we might be experiencing some sort of a shadow of death. It's not real death. We experience the shadow of death. Um, at the same time, this verse is such a comfort to those who have actually experienced death. I was thinking about this just a few weeks ago. Um, I visited Florence McCutcheon, a uh, sweet sister in Christ, and uh, she and, and her son, Tim, and her daughter, Kim, were in the hospital, and it was the day before her death, and we read the Psalm 23 together. And, and Florence was just writhing in pain. She was, she was just, she was ready to go home. And it was amazing because as we started reading the Psalm and praying it over her, <laughs> she calmed down. Her, her, her body just sort of went at ease. I don't know what that was like. It was, it was just a spiritual care that she experienced from her shepherd. 
And I think she would agree with the Irish missionary, Theodosia Wingfield, when she says this. She says, on his arm, I feel at home. With soul confidence, I repose on my beloved, for he has supported me through so many difficulties, from the contemplation of which I shuddered. He has carried me over so many depths that I know his arm to be the arm of love. How can it be dark to come in contact with the light of life? As we make our way on this journey, it just feels like darkness and death all around us. I, I, I pray that you would experience light, the light of life, the good shepherd that's with you. In fact, let me just pray for you if you're in that valley right now. Let's, let's pray. God, I think of Psalm 139. That was a real sweet gift to me in my concussion where it says darkness is not darkness for you for darkness is as light to you. God, I pray that you would be light to those in the dark right now, that they would experience your presence, that, they, that you would be near to the brokenhearted, that you would save the crushed in spirit. God, please be near us. And please carry us through the valley to the other side. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what a comfort it is, though, that the valley is not our last destination. Setting number three is this. The shepherd welcomes me into his house forever. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are no longer in the valley. We are now in a house, and it's as if David here seems to kind of switch metaphors. He moves from us being sheep to now almost being traveling guests. And we have arrived at this house and the shepherd is, is no longer a shepherd really. He's turned into this marvelous host. It's almost like he's a king, that he's got these extravagant riches. And when we come into his presence, he refreshes us. He renews us. He, he gives us oil and wine after a long, dry journey. And for those who were in the East at this time, they would have known exactly what this was like because often people would frequently anoint their visitors when they would arrive with some very fragrant perfume. And they would give them a cup or glass of some wine and then they would pour that, cup, pour that wine into that cup to the, to, until it was overflowing. And those two signs were one, it, the, the perfume was a sign of just love and care and respect. And the sign of the cup overflowing was a sign, as long as you're in my house, all that I have is yours. Extravagant riches are for you. You can have abundance of everything. And I, and I love that picture, right? I mean, that's what we long for. That's what, we, that's what our soul yearns for. And what's amazing here is where is this taking place? It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So God doesn't wait until the coast is clear to prepare the table. Somehow, some way, he miraculously keeps our enemies at bay. He, he, somehow, with, he somehow keeps them from us. And from us experiencing his blessing and his bounty, it's as if he turns this, this place that's a scary world into a refuge for his guests. We don't have to wait until the coast is clear. Kai can take the, the danger and create a place of safety. He can take that fear and he can turn it into a place of, of refreshment. He can take that worry and turn it into a place of peace. He can come and, and turn your sorrow into joy. 
Not only can he do this, he yearns to do it. But I want you to understand something. Part of our inability to experience the abundance of God is that we think that he's stingy or we we keep our distance from him. Even though there's a banquet table awaiting us, we kind of, I don't know if I trust in you, God. But see, you're going to miss out on the blessings when you turn away from our amazing host. Can I encourage you? God is extravagant in his grace. He doesn't hold back. He he gives us his best. And, And what does he ask of us? Just hold out your hands and receive. I love Psalm 116. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I shall lift up the cup of his salvation and call on the name of the Lord. In other words, what do I do when I lift up the cup and I ask for your blessing? I just keep lifting up the cup. I just keep asking for more. God, pour out your oil upon me. Anoint me with your spirit. Pour out your blessings upon me. Give me your goodness. Give me your mercy. Give me your loving kindness. Just please pour it fresh on me. I need revival. I need refreshment. What's amazing too here, as we transition to verse 6, we are not just guests passing through. The picture here of this good shepherd, this host for us, is that we are welcomed into the banquet table, not just once, not just twice, not just for a little while, but forever and ever and ever and ever. In other words, we're not just guests, we are now sons and daughters. The word for goodness, it means blessing, prosperity, beauty. It is the extravagant form of goodness. It's the word that God used when he created the world in six days. And at the end of every day of creation, he said, that is good. I love what I've made. It's beautiful. That's the type of God that we serve. And not only that, but it says that there's not just goodness that follows us, but mercy as well. That mercy is chesed. It's also translated loving kindness or steadfast love. It's what Gary Brashears calls God's consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, one-way love. In other words, it just keeps on coming after us. When it says the goodness and mercy shall follow me, that word follow, it's it's not the best translation. It's a stronger Hebrew word. It means to pursue. It's like my little dog, the Australian shepherd, Max. He constantly is nipping at our heels, getting us to go where he wants us to go. And that's what God's goodness and mercy are towards us. They're constantly nipping at us. They're constantly following us. They're pursuing us. They're not going to stop. God says, I am that way towards you. I'm steadfast in my love. My goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And on into eternity. I love that. In fact, this isn't going to end. It's just going to keep going all the days of my life and on into the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. That's the way the shepherd relates to the sheep. He is constant in his presence. He is sufficient and extravagant in his provision. He is strong in his protection. He is trustworthy in all of his promises. 
And there's no enemy that can stop him from us experiencing his love and his goodness, both now and forever. And one day, I'm so excited. All those enemies that were once in our presence, they will be completely removed. We won't have to think about them. Gone. (laughs) What a gift that is. Charles Spurgeon, though, he says this about Psalm 23 in the context of Psalm 22. He says this. He says, There are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd Psalm. It is only after we have read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. You see, Psalm 22, right before Psalm 23, this is the passage that Jesus quoted on the cross. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did he do that? He was cursed for our blessing so that Psalm 23 could be given to us. God would hold nothing back from you, not even his only son, so that you could experience the blessings of Psalm 23. The reason that God can be with us in the valley of the shadow of death is because Jesus went into the valley of death itself. The night before Jesus died, he prepared a table before his disciples in the presence of his enemy, Judas Iscariot. When Jesus was in danger, he didn't leave. And just hours later, he put himself in the enemies, excuse me, in the hands of those enemies so that we could be saved from ours. He let the wolves tear him apart so that us as his sheep could be restored. He laid down his life on the cross and he allowed sin and even the Father's wrath to to overwhelm him so that goodness and mercy would pursue us all the days of our life. You see, Jesus left the house of God so that we could dwell in his house forever. (laughs) So I asked you a question earlier Do you know this good shepherd? Our good shepherd is not away at breakfast. In fact, he prepares a banquet table for his sheep. He says, you're my sheep and I'm your shepherd. And I'm with you forever. But let me encourage you. Actually, let me challenge you. If this passage still feels distant to you, if you don't feel like you know the voice of the shepherd, then you may not be one of his sheep. You see, this this passage, Psalm 23, is only for the sheep. And so if you are sensing right now that you've never been welcomed into the fold of God, there is only one door into the sheepfold. It is through Jesus Christ. Respond to the shepherd right now. Just listen to his invitation. Say, Jesus, come, care for me, shepherd me. Love me, pursue me, lavish your grace and your mercy upon me. Just listen to his invitation. And for those of us who are his sheep, I encourage you to listen to his invitation as well. He says, come close to me. Rest in me. Find comfort in me. Be restored in me. Experience my goodness and my mercy all the days of your life and on into eternity. I love, I love too that the emphasis on who does something is all on the shepherd, right? The shepherd's the one who leads. The shepherd's the one who guides. The shepherd's the one who comforts. The shepherd's the one who protects. The shepherd's the one who provides. The shepherd who's the one who prepares the banquet table. And what do we have to do? I shall not want. I don't have to fear evil. 
I just get to dwell in the presence of my God forever and ever and ever. That is the invitation of the shepherd so that we can move from a journey with, a, with the shepherd that's sort of distant from us to a journey with my shepherd. And we can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen? Let's pray.